0: What's up, Cornerstone? How you guys doing? Oh, that's pretty weak. You guys okay? All right, so uh, got a ball and a glove. Uh, I've been watching the Cardinals and think there's hope for me still. I'm going to go try out next year. They, they need all the help they can get, and uh, I think I may have a chance. But one of my loves growing up early, early on was baseball. I loved to go in the backyard and just toss the ball around. I loved to just imagine and make believe that I was in the game and I was in the middle of the big play. And I'd be back in the backyard playing around, and then all of a sudden my parents may yell, Hey, what are you doing? Playing baseball. Okay, okay, just be careful. And I would go back to it, and then, you know, it was time to pitch. What are you doing? What? I'm playing baseball. What does it look like? I'm playing baseball. It's the bottom of the ninth. We're ahead. It's a full count. I have one more pitch. The game's depending on me. I'm playing baseball. Can't you tell what I'm doing? And my logic was simple enough. I have a glove. I have a ball. I must be playing baseball. The problem is, and we all know this, you can't play baseball by yourself. It's not possible. As good as I can dream, as good as I can think through the scenarios, you can never play baseball by yourself. Why? Because baseball is a team sport. I had a fundamental misunderstanding that I was playing baseball when I was in reality playing catch or playing make-believe. And I think and I fear sometimes that there's a similar misunderstanding that we have sometimes when we talk about church. We talk about what it means to, to, to do the church thing and I don't know if if, if you've realized this, but sometimes our language conveys this misunderstanding because we say things like this. Today, I'm going to go to church. And by our, our statement, it's almost like we're saying church consists of a building where we come and we sit and we watch. Or we say things like this after we leave church. Hey, how was church today? How do you typically respond to that question? Well, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, the musical is about an 8. Uh, that's, you, you, how do you answer that question effectively to convey what church is? How is church today doesn't get to the heart of what it really means to be a part of the church? And we're going to talk today about this idea that, that Jesus has gifted every single one of us who follow him. He's uniquely gifted us to serve each other to grow the church. I want to talk about what that looks like out of the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, grab them, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're starting a four-week series today and we're just going to walk through some different passages of Ephesians. But, but just for some background information, um, in case you're not aware, aware of this, the book of Ephesians is actually not a book, it's actually a letter. And it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people in a place called Ephesus. And so. To Ephesus, Paul wrote Ephesians. He wrote another letter to a group in Philippi, and that's called Philippians. He wrote another lef- letter to a church in Galatia, and that's called Galatians. And Ephesians is a book that, uh, is a letter that Paul wrote to the church that he had started. He started this church in Ephesus a few years before he wrote this. And then he wrote this letter to, to tell them a few things. He wrote to tell them, uh, first and foremost, if you read it, you can see this, that he loves them dearly. As a spiritual father, he just loves this church and he's so proud of them. He writes to tell them that he's praying for them and that he's deeply concerned about them. But he also prays to warn them of a few things. And he prays to warn them that there are people in their midst teaching things that are leading others astray. And Paul writes to say, watch out for those teachers. Don't believe what they're talking about. He also writes to say, there is an issue of racism in your midst. There's a Jewish-Gentile controversy going on, and you guys in Ephesus, you need to be aware of it, and you need to deal with it. But then Paul goes on to say some things about the church, and he gives different metaphors about the church in this book. And he refers to the church as the bride of Christ, the family of God. And And the metaphor we'll talk about today is Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ, the body of Christ, and that's used throughout Scripture. But if you have your Bibles, Ephesians uh, chapter 4 is where we'll start reading today. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 says this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given. And so there's a, different, a couple of different meanings here about what the word grace means. Uh, first of all, the word grace simply means saving grace that that Paul uses this word to talk about we are saved through faith by grace it's not that anything that we've done on our own but by faith in Jesus Christ we are saved saving grace but also this word grace means after you have the saving grace and after you've received that God also gives us gifts of grace spiritual gifts And this is another way that Paul is referring to this, that God gives us grace. And if you are here today and you are a follower of Christ and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that each and every single one of us have been gifted uniquely and individually by God. That that God has gifted you. You you are a gift of God. And that the gifts that God has given you, He desires you to use them for a purpose. And we'll, we'll look at that in a few minutes But I don't know if you've ever went through a season of life or a a long season in life like I have where there's just times and periods in life where we feel inadequate. And sometimes we feel useless. And sometimes we try to figure out, what is my purpose and do I even have a reason for being here? And you've got to hear this this morning. If you are a person who is following Jesus Christ and you've given your life to Him, There is absolutely a purpose. There is absolutely a reason. And even greater than that, there are gifts that he has given to you. Each one of us has been gifted by Jesus Christ. Look in verse 11 and continue this thought. It's talking about Jesus. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare. Let's remember that word and hang on to it. To prepare. To prepare. God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's a partnership that's going on here. God says that to the church have been given these offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teachers. To the church overall, these offices have been given. And the purpose of these offices is to equip God's people, is to prepare God's people for works of service. Now, let's think about our analogy of a baseball uh field for a minute so it's, it's the beginning of the baseball game the team huddles up and can you imagine the team huddling up there and and, and putting all their hands in And you know it's like a, a, a one two three diamondbacks let's go okay so they all put their hands in one two three diamondbacks they break apart and they start running and they, except for going on the field the team decides to run into the dugout and all the players take their seat on the bench and the coaches go in to the field and the players are on the bench. Come on, coach, you can do it. Throw that ball, pitch it, hit it, whatever. Come on, coach, you can do it. And you're like, that's that's absolutely absurd. That would never happen. That makes no sense whatsoever. The coach is to stand on the sideline to observe, to use his expertise to say, here, let me help you and prepare you to be better. The players play, the coach's coach. But that misunderstanding sometimes leaks into the church, and sometimes in the church we think. We have pastors, and we have these leaders in our church, and their job is to to do the stuff, and our job is to watch. We pay them the big bucks. You're right. We pay them to do stuff, to do ministry. Uh, we, We aren't doing that. We have real lives. We have real jobs. I was born and raised in the South and in the Bible Belt. And, and, and I think we really have taken, um, uh, culturally, this idea to the utmost extreme. Because we, growing up, we had this view of pastors that, that the pastor should be there when you're born. And the pastor should be there at most of your birthday parties. And, and when you get married, the pastor should be there to marry you. And when, you, when you die, the pastor should be there to bury you. When you get a snotty nose, the pastor should come and help you wipe your snotty nose. The pastor should be there for everything to help you in every single way. And we've taken it to this absurd extreme where the pastor is supposed to be all things to all people. And the reality is that's never been the call. The call of God is there are leaders, there are pastors, but their work is to prepare God's people for works of service, to prepare God's people to serve each other. First Peter puts it this way. You can look at the screen. Each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each one of us should use whatever gift he has received. But, but here's the purpose. Not the gift that we have, but the way that we use that gift. We should use that gift to serve others. That when we're talking about the church, we're not a bunch of individuals. We are interdependent on each other. We have to be there for one another. We have to be able to, to help Because you see, church is not a spectator event. Now, there's a whole lot of chairs facing me and only one facing out. But this doesn't mean this is what church is all about. Church is not a spectator event. It's not like you go to the baseball game and and you just chill out and you watch and you enjoy. And then you go home and and you check it off your to-do list. I've done that. I I made it to church. It's not a spectator event. You have been gifted and you have been called. And, and, And I personally would go as far to say this. I believe that God not only gives us the saving grace to save us, not only gives us the serving gift, grace to, for us to be gifted to serve, I believe also God puts a call in our lives to say, I want you to be a part of a local church, and I want you to invest your life into that body. I want you to give yourself in service to that body. And that each person that God has ever called to come to Cornerstone has a unique fit at this church. Whatever church you go to, if God leads you to that church, I believe there's a unique fit and a need that that church has that only you can fulfill. Because we've never been created to be spectators in this. We've never been created to, to come and sit in a purple chair and just watch. Where to serve. Where to give. And the reality is we find and we discover that as we serve and as we give, Something begins to happen inside of us. Something begins to to unite our hearts together. And we see the display of Christ fully revealed as we never would on our own. Church is not a spectator event. It's also not a consumer event. Church is not about asking, hey, what's in it for me? What What kind of ministries do they have that would help me, that would serve me? Uh, being on staff here, we get emails occasionally of people who are moving to new cities. And, and sometimes the emails come in and, and they say, hey, I'm moving to whatever city. Uh, Does anyone know of a good church in that area? And I'm always puzzled because I wonder, well, what do they mean by good church? Do they, do they, are they looking for a place where the music's good, the teaching's good? Or are they flipping it around and saying, where's a place that I can go and be used? Where's a place that the gifts that God has given me can be served and I can, I can benefit this body and I can help? I was in a meeting earlier this week with a man and There was a few of us sitting around talking, and and it was just fascinating because he began to explain how he had been serving in the children's ministry here at Cornerstone for for a number of years. And he's teaching children and and, and ministering to kids and to to families, And, and he was beaming as he was talking about this. And he was so excited to be able to just tell us about the great things that are happening in the children's ministry. And I just looked at him, and I thought... That sounds horrible. Like, like, I would be so bad at that. The children's ministry people, they would kick me out of the children's ministry. They would probably fire me from the church and say, Never again, never again are you allowed in our children's ministry because you're so bad at it. You're, you're just horrible. Please don't do that. But as this man was talking, and I heard just the passion that he had, and I know of the fruit of how, how many great things are happening in that ministry. I just thought, it is amazing to see this man that is wired so differently than I am, yet called to the same task of serving the church. And, and the same thing happens if you, if you were to arrive here, which I know you don't, um, at 6 o'clock in the morning. And to see the men and, and the, the women that are here setting up for Sunday morning. And, and there's the, the guys that are driving the truck that sprays water over the parking lot so dust doesn't get over, all over your cars and all that. And, I, and I'm just like... That just sounds painful to me. Six o'clock in the morning, be at church. But they love it and they serve wholeheartedly. And and the, the men and women as we're walking in that are standing out in the hot sunshine saying, Hey, good morning. How are you doing? It's so good to have you here. It's just beautiful to see the diversity of the gifts that God gives us as unique individuals when they're used together for the common good. And to see all that God wants to do and all that God is accomplishing. I want you to look back, if you have your Bible, at verse 12 and see that word that I pointed out. And it says that the the pastors have been given to the church for this cause to prepare God's people for works of service. To prepare God's people for works of service. That word uh, literally means to equip. And and in the the old days when the Bible was written, it was a word that was used in a couple of different uh, ways. One of them is this. It was a word used for the setting of a broken bone. So let's say there's a broken arm and there's somebody walking around with a broken arm and, and, and the reality is this word to prepare or to equip or to set, to mend a broken bone would be used in this case because here's the reality. When my, if my arm is broken, if that bone is out of place, it doesn't just affect my arm, it affects the entire body. The pain is throughout and the pain is very real, but it also affects anything that I wanted to do. And, and until I get that bone set, my body cannot operate effectively. My body is not able to do all that, that it's been designed to do. This word was also used to mend nets. The fishermen would go out and sometimes their nets would get a tear in them. And this word to, to equip or to mend, to fix, mend the nets would be, as they're going out doing their livelihood, they can't neglect the holes in the net because if that little hole, if it's left un, unaddressed, it will eventually rip into two. It will cause them to lose their livelihood. You never can function effectively as a fisherman with a torn net. And what we're being told here through this passage is for the church to truly be the church, for any local church to be the church, for Cornerstone to be all that God has intended it to be, every single person needs to step up out of the spectator mode and say, how can I serve and how can I be of service and how can I help the body? Because only then will we be able to be all that God has called us to be. And only then will we discover deep inside of us that there are are purposes that God has placed within us. There are things that God has worked inside of us that we will never be fulfilled until we're able to live those out. Look with me in verse 13. We are told here's the, the goal of this. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ." From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So here's the metaphor that I was talking about of the body. And we're told that Christ is the head. He's the brains. He's the one that's leading the way. He's, the, he's in charge of the church. But the whole entire body is connected, doing what the brain tells it to, through joints and through ligaments, and it's all connected. We're interdependent on one another. Now, as the body is, so the churches. there are parts of the body that are more prominent, but that never means they're more significant. On my face, there's features that are more prominent than other parts of my body that are actually more significant. My nose, my ears are much more prominent than my heart would ever be. But the heart is always more significant than the nose or the ears would ever be. And the reality is there's different kinds of gifts that God has given us, but there's very few people who can stand up here and play a guitar and sing and lead this many people in worship. But just because Brian or Ryan can do a phenomenal job at that and they're very gifted, that doesn't mean they're more significant than the people over there changing diapers right now or the men and women that are teaching our children, our elementary age children. Every single gift that has been given to the body of Christ is significant because it helps us to be who we have been created by God to be. But there's two pathways here in the passage that I just read that God said we we will tend to go on. The first one can be seen in words like this. The first path is maturity. And you can see that there's words or phrases like unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God. Becoming mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And these are the kind of things that happen when we're functioning together. We're working together interdependent. But the flip side is there's another possibility when we're not working together. Words like this. Infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning craftiness of men and deceitful scheming, And it speaks of confusion, and it speaks of doubt, and it speaks of instability, and it speaks of immaturity. Because the Bible says, if we're not operating with us, each one of us serving as God has gifted us, we're still operating at an immature level. Our youngest child is five, and I'm he just turned five the other day, and he's quite an adventure. He's our, our only boy, and so we're trying to figure out how to raise a boy because boys and girls are quite different. But he's been a little bit tired this weekend, so last night we're sitting at dinner, and, and um, he just wasn't into dinner. And our attempts at being a little health-conscious for one meal um, were not going over well in our five-year-old's eyes. And so I'm, we're fighting, eat your food. I don't want to eat my food. Eat your food. I don't want to eat my food. And so finally he just resorts to saying, Daddy, feed me. I thought, you're five years old. I don't want to feed you. But then I thought, well, you know, it could be worse. Um, I, I could be having to give him a bottle. I'm like, if he's five years old and I'm having to give him a bottle, that, that would be a really bad day. I said, or well, it could be worse. I, I could still be changing his diapers. and So at least I'm not changing his diapers. So I just said, you know what, in order to get you to eat your food, I'll, I'll feed you with a spoon. And so I got the spoon out and put it in his mouth and eat the food and cut it up in bite-sized bites. And I'm like, you're five years old. You should be doing this. But I just begin to think that, that if, let's say, he's 13 years old and he comes to me and he says, Daddy, feed me. We're really going to have a problem then because something's wrong. He is not maturing like he should. But the Bible gives us this interesting analogy that, that sometimes spiritually... We should be eating real food, and we're still nursing. That we're not growing up like we should. That we're not maturing like we should. That, that, that we're missing a component. And I believe historically, um, at least the churches that I've been in, have said, well, then if you want to mature, then here's what you need to do. You need to learn more. You need to know more. And there's been this focus on knowledge. And it's just like, get more and more and more information and stuff it in my head. But can I just tell you, I don't think that's what the Bible says. And that is definitely not what this passage tells us. Because this passage tells us that maturity is not what you know. Maturity is what you do with what you know. The goal is not just for us only to get more information and more information and more information and memorize more verses and and know more doctrine and theology and all that kind of stuff because what good does that knowledge do if we don't put it into practice? The goal is for us to find our place of service and as we begin to learn and as we begin to know a little bit more, we're serving in a different capacity. But the goal is not to just get us to know more. The goal is to serve and to do. This week I was reading through the Loop magazine. And we've had this issue for the whole summer. So hopefully some of you have read it. If not, I would encourage you to go home and read it. But there's a story of a young man named Jordan. And Jordan went with a team to India. Our partnership with Harvest India back in January. And I remember vividly. Seeing in a staff meeting when our team came home from India, and Marty McIntyre, our director of missions, uh, just sort of spoke up and was debriefing the staff on the trip. And he said, this is the first trip that I've ever taken that uh, I didn't bring everybody back that I took. I thought, that can't be good. You took somebody to India, and you forgot them? You left them? I mean, I've been to India, and let me just tell you, I don't want to be forgotten in India. Please don't leave me in India and, and, and Marty said, no, 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 uh, this, this young man, Jordan, uh, he came to our church about a year and a half ago or so. And um, God began to stir in his heart. And uh, Suresh from Harvest India stood up and was talking about all the great things God is doing in India. And Jordan said, and I want to be a part of that trip. So he signed up to go. And so he went. And as he began to serve in India, he began to discover that God had placed a deep heart, uh, place in his heart for the people of India, for the things that were going on in India. And something resonated in him as he began to serve. And so I, I was reading this, this, this article on him, and I was reading when he said this, and I was so moved. I just wanted to read it to you. Jordan said, I am being stretched in so many ways here in India. I am way out of my comfort zone as I greet the churches, give testimony, listen to testimonies. And in in situations where I am the only one who can speak fluent English. Although the language barrier is difficult to handle some days, it keeps teaching us to be patient and kind in brotherly love. Some days I would rather be back in the comforting arms of the American life where I could hide away from the hurt of the world. At times it is painful to deal with, but I would not have it any other way. I am here being sculpted into the likeness of Jesus. And I just thought, that's what it's about. He's being sculpted into the likeness of Jesus, not because he's just sitting back in comfort learning, but because he's on the, the edge of service. He's stepped out in faith. And so when he has to go give a testimony, you know what he has to do? He has to get out his Bible and say, huh, I wonder what I should, should share. So he's studying, but then his study is becoming practical and applicable, and his life is being transformed not only because he's studying, and that's a great thing, but because the study mixed with the action. The service, and his life's being changed. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're a person who you figured out how God has gifted you, and you, and you know how you are wired. Uh, but if, if, if you're here and you're like, you know what, I don't really know how I'm wired, we have spiritual gifts tests that we give. And we have a class coming up, a Discovering Your Gifts class. And it's on this little sheet that we have for you today. And if that's something that would be of benefit to you, I would encourage you, sign up for that class. Take the inventories that we have that help you just, just understand a little bit deeply uh, how you've been wired. But can I tell you what personally I would say is the even best way to discover your gifts? Start serving. Start serving. Because there's something that happens when our, we get our hands engaged in the work. And we start doing ministry and we realize, wow, I really love this. And when I do this, I really sense God at work in my life. And, and most of the movements of God in my life, where, where, whether he's changed me from a, a location, a different ministry or whatever, most of the moves have come through serving and already doing the work that God is calling me to ahead of time, and then I realize, okay, yeah, that was what that was about. And the way that we would invite you to do that is we have a prepare class here that you can take at Cornerstone that we, we put every single person who's going to serve at Cornerstone through so you can understand the values of what's going on. But on the other side of that sheet is a list of some of the opportunities we have just in-house here. And there's countless other opportunities to serve the community, to serve the world. But but I would just say, would you be willing to accept the challenge? Would you be willing to take a step of faith to say, God, I don't want to just be a spectator. God, I don't want to be just a consumer. God, I want to take a step of faith and I want to discover my place of service. And God, I want to be used of you to grow the body of Christ, to mature in my faith. And to help Cornerstone be all all that you have called it to be. Let's just take a moment and pray. God, I thank you today for your word. And I thank you for the truth of scriptures that you have gifted every single person in this room. Every single follower of Christ in this room has uniquely and personally from you, been given gifts to serve. And God, I know sometimes it's, it's so difficult because we're distracted, we're bombarded by things in life, and, and sometimes our focus is on ourselves. But God, I pray today that you would remind us and reveal to us the joy that comes from serving you. And I pray today that you, um, in your wisdom, would teach us how you've you've equipped us, how you've wired us to serve. And God, I pray that men and women would be willing to take that step of faith. God, I think there's some probably here today that they've never encountered your saving grace. They've never encountered the radical love that you have, a love that never fails, a love that is unending, a love that can forgive all of our faults. And God, for that man or for that woman, I pray that today could be a day of salvation that today you would reveal that there is nothing that we can do that takes us too far away from your love. And God, I pray in this place today, overwhelm us with your love. God, today as we celebrate your death and burial and resurrection through communion, God, we pray, reveal yourself to us. We worship you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.